Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and we are here to unpack the Seattle Kraken expansion draft. Draft wrapped up about 20 minutes ago in one of the most miserable 90-minute stretches of television that didn't involve the New York football giants, maybe of my entire life. Frank Saravelli, God bless him, he was at Daily Faceoff now. He scooped the entire expansion draft middle by middle of the day on Wednesday. We knew who every single team was going to select before the television production went live on ESPN, ESPN's first ESPN's first NHL presentation in God knows how long and much like the event itself, the production left a lot to be desired. We're going to get into all of that, but before we get into unpacking Ron Francis and the Seattle Kraken's decisions, I do got to remind everyone to help support the show. So, if you are listening to the show, you already know where, somewhere you can find it. If you clicked on the link from the Twitter, uh, tweet, if you found it on my Snapchat, on Instagram, wherever you found it, please help support it. By that, I mean on that podcasting platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, any of those platforms, follow the show. If you are on Apple Podcasts, you have an added responsibility, please go to the show's homepage at the bottom. There are four clear purple stars. You want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Underneath that is a button, purple letters. It says write a review. If you have a minute, please leave a few words. Support your content creators. We're all busting our asses this time of year, and any support is appreciated. So really quick, before we have our little musical interlude and get into the main conversation... I've never had a problem with insiders leaking picks, whether it's an entry draft, the NFL draft, the NBA draft, the NHL draft, whatever draft you want to talk about. I've never had a problem with the insiders leaking the picks if they have them ahead of time, especially when we're talking about the NFL and the NBA, which are major television productions where there's three, four hours long, multiple days, that kind of thing. And the talent that is leaking the picks, whether you're talking about Woj and Shams, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, when they have it, they're tweeting it, you know, 30 seconds, a minute before the pick is in, while everyone who's scrolling Twitter while waiting for the pick to come in sees the pick. It does take the air out of the balloon a little bit, but it was kind of different today because the, the whole point of this television production was to get some eyes on the NHL product. And while I understand the vast majority of hockey fans might not be on Twitter, Twitter's a very small sect of the world. I know I always talk about this when it comes to American politics, that you only see a very small sect of the widespread opinion because you are on Twitter and you only see the content of people you follow and other people they follow. So you're very unlikely to see the bigger picture not everybody is just doom scrolling twitter six hours a day because they want to see what's going on in the sports world like me so i understand that for most people they put on the draft in the background on espn2 after that x games event was over and that 12 year old won some medal and he was crying and the the broadcasters for that production were crying they put it on. They wanted to see what was going on. I'm sure for them it was the normal cringe production where you had 
a host in Chris Fowler who does college football, who does tennis, who does golf. He's a hockey fan. I know he's a hockey fan. He's one of the ESPN personalities who had a little bit of an um, excited tone of voice, excited social media presence when ESPN put out that package a couple of weeks ago announcing all the personalities and talent they had signed for the TV production. But he just kind of didn't feel that comfortable up there. Like, you could tell... He kind of knew what he was talking about, but at the same time, he was looking down at his note card pretty much the entire time, leaving Dominic Moore, who is pretty good on TV, but still relatively new. A lot of dead air to fill with talking points about players who don't have a ton of NHL experience. So the TV production left a lot to be desired. I don't particularly care that Frank Cervelli leaked the entire draft, but the insiders, the insiders are on the shit list. All right, we'll take our brief musical interlude. I'll see you guys in one second. And with that, we will jump on into it. So, overall, early thoughts. First of all, the insiders failed us. There was serious conjecture for the better part of the last month that there were going to be a litany of side deals in this draft like there were during the Vegas expansion draft. You know the ones, the Alex Tuck one, the Jonathan Marsha show one for Riley Smith, the William Carlson one, you know, like all of the, the Shea Theodore one, you know, all of the good players that the Vegas Golden Knights have that they got through side trades because NHL general managers are not good at evaluating their own talent. You know, all of that. That was supposed to happen again today, but in all of their wisdom, you know, I I, I say this all the time, the NHL insiders, they tease every single draft, July 1st when free agency opens, and trade deadline as going to be this massive flurry of activity. That's going to be like the Tasmanian Devil Cyclone going around. There's going to be so much activity. And every single time one of those events passes, you realize they're just trying to get you to watch the television production, that they're just trying to get you to keep refreshing their Twitter feed. At the end of the day, those insiders in the NHL do not do as good as a job as Schefter and Rappaport do in the NFL, as good a job as Jeff Passan does for baseball, as Ken Rosenthal does for baseball, and as good a job as um, Shams and Woj do for the NBA when it comes to transactions. The transaction reporting in the NHL is very lackluster and underdeveloped, and a lot of it comes from the fact that these trades and contracts are broken, not by the team confirming to a reporter, it's that they come from the league office. So, if you're not familiar with this, I forget who explained how this worked. I think it might have been Bob McKenzie at a trade deadline a few years ago when they had some airtime to kill. He explained that a lot of the time... They get, they meaning insiders, so you know, Bob McKenzie when he was still in the game, Darren Drieger, Frank Cervelli, all of those types of individuals, they get these trade reports from the league office. Because when both teams confirm a trade, they have to send paperwork to the league office to get it registered. Usually, it is someone at the league office when the paperwork comes in for the trade to be registered that will confirm a trade to the insiders. And it's why we've often seen in the hockey world where the team account, you know, the team social media account will post player X acquired for YZ and A 
before an insider has confirmed it. You know, the team social media person can make a graphic or a, a couple tweet thread about a player who's been traded or signed before an insider whose job it is to know the inner workings of the league. And I understand that insider is a difficult job and it requires really strong source development and that the nature of the relationships within hockey media are very protective and fraternal and a lot of these moves and things, um, these transactions aren't reported because a source tells an insider, yeah, but you can't use it. And, you know, they don't want to burn them and they don't want to quote anonymous sources. So they just throw things out there into the ether. They have their podcasts. They go on the radio in Canada and other markets and they got to fill up airtime. And the more we see it, especially with hockey, it's not as egregious in the NFL, the NBA, the MLB when it comes to this kind of stuff, but I'm just kind of pissed they, they teased all of this stuff and we ended up with one of the most boring 90 minutes of television in my entire life. And you're, uh, I watch all seven rounds of the NFL draft. I found the sixth round of the NFL draft in Cleveland a couple months ago more intriguing than what I watched uh, Wednesday night in Seattle. So before we get to the actual picks... I said on the podcast on t- Monday that there were a few ways they, Ron Francis and the Kraken could go about this. They could look to try and get as many good players right away as possible and look to be competitive in year one. They could go to some kind of middle ground where they take one or two of those name brand guys, a, a Vladimir Tarasenko, maybe a Matt Duchesne, maybe you take Gabriel Landeskog as rights from the Avalanche and you can get him to ter- agree to a contract like they did with a few other players, but there was serious conjecture. Maybe Seattle takes a couple of these name-brand guys, maybe a Mark Giordano, and then you look to trade them almost immediately. Within the next couple of weeks, you retain a little bit of salary, and, and you get assets in the pipeline. Because as an expansion team, you are looking at a roster of spare parts. These are teams third line, fourth line, second pair, third pair, backup goaltender. And while they did end up getting some okay players, I do think they left some value on the table. And the problem for Seattle is a lot of the guys they got are depth players, and they were good as depth players. Yanni Gord, for example, Colin Blackwell, Jonas Donskoy, Brandon Tanev, guys that played lower in the lineup against Matt talent levels that they were comparable to you know other teams third and fourth lines they were playing against those guys in certain roles they weren't playing on the power play they were playing on the penalty kill and you have no way of knowing how those guys those depth pieces will play as top six forwards yeah Yanni Gord was very good as a third line center during the Stanley Cup final run for the Lightning each of the last two years you have no idea how well he's going to play as a first line center you're going to be in that division with McDavid and Dreisaitl, and Yanni Gord's going to be drawing that matchup, and he's going to have to be able to produce some points because there's not a whole lot of other players on that roster that are as talented and polished at this point in their careers already. So let's look at it this way. Number one, I think it's a fair assessment to say that Ron Francis and Seattle left some value on the table. They did not select 
some players. I thought they would. They selected more than one player who had just a handful of games of NHL experience with no conditions upon the selection. They are significantly under the salary cap. They have upwards of $20 million to spend, and free agency opens next week, and the entry draft is this Saturday. So Seattle is going to have the ability to make some transactions, to make some trades, go out and try and get some free agents. Maybe they still go out and try and get Gabriel Landeskog in a couple weeks when free agency opens. Maybe they make a splash at the tra- at, at the draft on Saturday. Maybe they try and throw their hat into the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. Maybe they trade for Vladimir Tarasenko and give up an asset, even though they could have had him just for his cap. I don't know. But there are obviously some other factors that the wider brain trust of hockey people out here in the media did not consider because nobody thought Seattle would take this few talented players. They took a lot of guys who are just there because they had to select one player from every team. So I'll go through. I won't, I won't go analyzing each pick as they go, but Hayden Fleury, Anaheim Ducks, Pitlick, Jordan Pitlick, Arizona Coyotes, Jeremy Lozon, Boston Bruins. I have no idea who the guy they took from the Sabres is. Borgen. Mark Giordano, understandable, solid pick, one of the most common mocked players to them. John Quinville from the Blackhawks, which conflicted with reports we heard a couple days ago that they might be selecting unpending unrestricted free agent Nikita Zadorov from the Blackhawks. But maybe they were unable to come to terms with Zadorov's agent ahead of time, so they opted for Quinville. Jonas Donskoy from the Colorado Avalanche, I had them taking him as well. Jamie Oleksiak, one of the two players that was an unrestricted free agent coming into the summer from the Dallas Stars. They were able to get him under contract. Adam Larson from the Edmonton Oilers. Ditto him and Oleksiak, the two pending unrestricted free agents who were able to come to term. Chris Drieger, a restricted free agent coming to term. Drieger, goaltender, Florida, very good. Carton Soucy, Minnesota Wild, third pair guy. Kale Fleury, Hayden Fleury's little brother. He's a forward. Unsure if he has an NHL future or not. Kale Yonkrock from the Nashville Predators. I had that one right. Nathan Bastian from the Devils. I had that one right. Jordan Eberle from the Islanders. Yes. Colin Blackwell from the Rangers. Yes. Joey Decord from Ottawa. I thought they would take Evgeny Dadnov just because they need top six wingers and Dadnov has some holes in his game, but he's a competent player who could play first line on a bad team. They opted for the third goalie to come from there. Tornaski from the Flyers. They did not select either Shane Gostaspear, James Van Riemsdyk, or Jake Voracek, who I thought they were going to take one of those three guys because they just needed some credibility in their top six. And then, again, like I talked about the other day on the show, you can just retain up to 50% of one of those guys' salaries, and you get a couple draft picks for one of those guys. You get, you retain half of Jane Van Riemsdyk's $7 million. You get James Van Riemsdyk for $3.5 million for the next four years. There are quite a few contending teams that would do that, but they opted for a guy with less than 20 games of NHL experience, Brandon Tanev. From the Penguins, I thought Tanev might be in the mix, but I thought that contract might be a bit prohibitive to use as a, a selection. I would have taken Casey DeSmith because, you know, you can never have enough goaltenders to pick from because goaltending is such a stupid position. They took a guy from the Sharks, another one I'd never heard of. His last name is True. I, there wasn't a whole lot to pick from the Sharks that would have made sense, but at the same time, I couldn't. It could not have been that 
that hard to find someone worth taking. St. Louis Blues, Vince Dunn. Felt like pretty much everybody had that one. That one made a lot of sense. The Blues hadn't really found a nice spot for Dunn in their lineup, and the Kraken are going to need young guys with upside. He's not going to be expensive. Yanni Gord from Tampa, pretty obvious. Slam dunk one. Did see on Twitter before I started recording that he is going to need to have off-season surgery, and he might miss the start of the season at least the first month from a lower body injury. We'll see if those reports pan out. Jared McCann from Toronto, not a good series of moves from Kyle Dubas. Traded for McCann last Saturday, gave up a draft selection, a seventh-round pick, and a former second-round pick uh, um, from the, originally of the Penguins for McCann. Left both McCann and Alex Kerfoot exposed. Seattle took the better player in McCann. He's younger. He's a little more expensive, but he's younger, and he's a better player. Vancouver Canucks, another player I'd never heard of with the last name Lind. From Washington, Vitek Vanacek had that one. And from Winnipeg, this one surprised me too, Mason Appleton. I would have gone with Dylan DeMello because you could put him on the first pair with Mark Giordano right out of the gate, and he would have been perfectly fine. They went for the restricted free agent forward, Mason Appleton, who had a solid season this past year. His underlying numbers weren't particularly good, but he was able to record some goals. And... When I say that Seattle left some value on the table, every player needs to be thought of as an asset. What can I do with this player? Is he more valuable to me in my lineup, or is he more valuable to someone else, and am I better off with a couple of draft picks from the team who wanted him? And I know that's kind of the opposite of what I always talk about on the show when it comes to player empowerment and players getting as much money as possible, but... These are two very conflicting sides here. General managers want to pay as little for as much production as possible, and the players want to get paid as much as possible with as much security as possible so they cannot just be discarded and thrown away because that is a very real concern for some of these guys, especially players who are bottom six forwards, third-pair defensemen, who have to play a more physical style because they do not have as high-end ability as players who play higher up in the lineup. And they know their careers are a little bit more fleeting, a little bit more age-curve dependent, where once you're a third or fourth-line guy and you hit 29, most teams aren't going to want to touch you because of the sheer volume of miles on your body. You are blocking shots, you're killing penalties, you're fighting puck battles in the corner. That wear and tear adds up and it accumulates, and that's why bottom six players are usually a bad investment but in terms of what seattle's done here they've got pieces i like the defense in particular shouldn't be that bad especially considering they got alexiak and adam larson in the mix and you have giordano in the mix i thought they might have gone with troy stetcher from the detroit Red wings but they didn't end up doing that but you got vince dunn in there Carton Susie is in there. There are decent defensemen on this team, and there are forwards I don't mind. I, I obviously Gord and Eberly, Tanev, Donskoy, Morgan Geeky has some upside from the Hurricanes. I thought they might go Nieder, Nieder, Nino Niederreiter there from the Hurricanes. He's a little bit more of a finished product. He could play in the top six if need be, but. 
They left value on the table. They very easily could have taken Tarasenko. They could have taken one of the goaltenders with a little bit more of an expensive cap hit. Could have taken Dylan DeMello. But it seems that two things happened. Number one, Seattle set the asking price for any of these side trades too high that even the other idiot general managers would not do them. And when I say that, I mean... The asking price I've seen from more than one place in a side deal was multiple draft selections or a B-tier at least prospect to not select someone or to select a specific someone. And we all thought that maybe the Islanders were going to entice that Seattle to take Josh Bailey as opposed to to Jordan Eberle, but they went with Eberle. We thought that maybe St. Louis gives them something to take Tarasenko, but ended up we're all sitting here pretty disappointed i mean there's not a whole ton to talk about in terms of evaluating the roster because you have no idea how these guys are going to fit together when you draft 30 players and you know 10 of them are ahl guys and four or five of them probably won't be on your roster come opening night because you're going to make other transactions it's hard to assess how you did but they definitely love value on the table I know there was a little bit of a stir mid-afternoon, about 4 o'clock, when Rick Carpinello of The Athletic and then Larry Brooks of The New York Post both had separate reports that Seattle had interest in Rangers center Ryan Strom and that maybe there was a trade to be made with Mark Giordano coming from Seattle with Seattle retaining some salary with Ryan Strom and maybe another asset going to Seattle thought that would have probably been an overpayment, and if anything, Seattle should have been giving something additionally with Giordano to take back Ryan Strom, because let's be honest here, Mark Giordano is a very good hockey player, but he's 37 years old. He's got one year remaining on his contract at $7 million per year. Ryan Strom is a year away from unrestricted free agency. He's going to turn 28, I believe, because I'm pretty sure he got into the NHL. Excuse me, he's going to turn 27 because I'm pretty sure he got into the NHL as an 18-year-old, so nine years of service or 27 years old, whichever one happens first. Strom goes out, and then a lot of people very quickly put together, oh, wait, that's an extra $4.5 million in cap space. Maybe the Rangers are going to go and get Jack Eichel, and they're going to have Jack Eichel, they're going to have Mark Giordano, and they're going to have a dramatically different roster. And maybe those moves still do happen. Maybe we have trades in the next few days from Seattle. But Giordano being in Seattle for the draft, demoing the jersey, being on the stage, shaking all the hands, leads me to believe that they are going to probably end up naming him captain for at least the first season of the team's existence and of his of his contract. There's no way to know if Giordano intends to play past this year. He was still an effective player last year on a pretty mediocre Calgary Flames team. I wouldn't be disappointed if the Rangers got him, but it would have to be at the right price. Like I said, they would need to retain some salary because $7 million for a 37-year-old who's probably going to be on your second defensive pair, maybe even third defensive pair, a lot of money. Leaves you possibilities, though, if you're the Rangers. You bring Giordano into the fold. You could play Giordano with Nils Lundqvist as your third defensive pair and give them really nice matchups and start them in the offensive zone a lot to help protect Nils Lundqvist and to make Giordano's load a little bit lighter because he's still playing heavy minutes in Calgary this past season so maybe in a smaller role you get better results but 
circling back around to Seattle, they did all right in terms of the pieces they got that they knew they wanted. Larson, expensive probably for a second-pair guy. The production he's going to give you, he gives you pretty much nothing offensively. This is a defense-first defenseman. Alexiak, very good defensively. Had some offensive upside this past year in Dallas that he had not shown in years past. I think Alexiak is a, a decent NHL defenseman. I don't know if he's a first-pair guy on a good team, but on a bad team, which Seattle is more than likely going to be, Alexiak can be your first-pair defenseman. I mean, he's going to have a harder time than he did in Dallas. I mean, in Dallas, he was playing behind Miro Heiskanen and, and getting a little bit easier matchups, but he's a passable NHL player, and... It does seem like Seattle has set themselves up here to do probably the slowest approach to building a competitive team. I mean, yeah, they've got a few okay players. They've got a few restricted free agents they poached that could turn into something down the road, but not particularly impressed with anything they came away with. They took the obvious ones from certain teams. I mean, I had a pretty good hit rate guessing who was going to be selected from each team because it was pretty obvious, more or less. It's just you figured that at somewhere on one of these teams that they were going to get something in addition to taking one of these guys. But for whatever reason, the market never materialized. I mean, asking for first-round draft selections as a condition for taking someone is a pretty steep price. I mean, yes, the first-round picks this week are going to be a little bit less valuable than in years past because a lot of these amateur prospects haven't played hockey in the last eight months, ten months, especially guys who are in the OHL and parts of Canada. Some of the European leagues have been better in terms of getting games in over the last calendar year but the last year plus for junior and minor hockey has kind of been a mess so you don't know what you're getting a lot of teams are going to draft guys this weekend who haven't played competitive hockey in quite some time so it's going to make things quite interesting before i wrap up here the last thing i want to leave you guys is with is this seattle is only spending 50-ish million dollars or so on roster players. We don't know how much they signed um, Adam Larson for. We know the Drieger contract. We know the Alexiak contracts. Those are both fine. Drieger should be fine. He was okay for Florida. He really was the backbone of their team when they went on the run that got them firmly into the playoff mix this year. He usurped the much more expensive Sergei Bobrovsky Florida also has Spencer Knight, the first-round pick from a couple years ago, the goaltender from the United States National Development Team program, who got in a couple playoff games but is yet to play in the regular season. I imagine Knight and Bobrovsky will get close to a 50-50 split because Bobrovsky has been pretty awful, just to be quite frank, for the amount of money Florida is paying him. They really, really shouldn't have given him that contract, and the moment it was signed, pretty much everybody knew that was going to be a bad decision, but... I digress, I digress. Seattle will be probably bad because they do not have enough goal scoring. And I talked about this the other day when I talked about who I thought they might take and the problems even with the rosters that some people put together that were analytically friendly. You have no way of knowing how depth players are going to play further up in the lineup. I like Jonas Donskoy. Jonas Donskoy was good because he was playing on a third line in Colorado where he didn't have to do as much. He could keep things simple. But against better competition, he might have a harder time. 
So, wrapping up, last thought. The insiders better not be fucking wrong about all the movement we're about to see. I'm so bored. Give me trades. Give me bad free agent contracts that aren't something the Rangers do. Zach Hyman, get traded to Edmonton for, uh, like, a second-round pick, and then I hope Edmonton gives him, like, $5.5 million a year for seven or eight years. I I know I've seen in more than one report that it's going to likely be a sign-and-trade so that Edmonton can give him an eighth year because only the team that holds the players' rights kind of offer them that eighth year. It's one of the many factors that are set up for teams to retain players because offering that eighth year to an unrestricted free agent, most teams know that contract, if it actually gets to its eighth season, is going to be an outright abomination that no one is going to want. And that's supposed to be security to said player and a reason for them to stay with the team that holds their rights. Yes, you can occasionally do what Toronto is reportedly going to do, where you're going to get probably a mid or maybe a third or fourth round pick and a sign-in trade to get that extra year tacked onto the contract. I'm going to need to get someone to come talk about the Oilers so I can unpack what the hell Ken Holland is doing up there. Edmonton needs a lot of things. Does not need a second-line wing who's 29 years old with a bad knee on an eight-year contract making $6.5 million a year. They could easily dick themselves up here and give them so- give him something like the Rangers gave Chris Kreider. And... Kreider's a better player than Zach Hyman, but I can't put anything past Edmonton, basically. There's got to be something in the water there up in Alberta that they just cannot give good contracts out, whatever the cause may be. I don't know. Maybe someone can explain it to me. I don't know. I don't know. It's all we've really got. As someone not in the loop here, it's all I got. Until we get more movement... Until we get a better idea what the teams are going to look like. That's all we got for now. Should have a pretty good episode for you guys for Friday. I got to make sure the scheduling lines up for who I'm supposed to record with tomorrow. But if everything works out, we should have a really good episode on Friday. So with that, I'm going to get you guys out of here. Pretty quick episode today. More content's coming. More content is coming. I need the hockey men to do things that I can make fun of them for. I will see you guys tomorrow.